Can is all I would be, I suppose. All right. I caught that on the recording. That's fine, though. <laughs> all right, guys. This is uh, welcome to another episode of Recovery Friends Podcast. Uh, real quick about the podcast. Um, we are people who are in active recovery from addiction. Uh, come on this show and uh, share our experience um, of how we got sober in the hopes that the listeners... Um, listeners still in active addiction can identify and find some hope for their own recovery. We are not affiliated or do we speak for any 12-step programs or any addiction or recovery-based entity. Uh, the ideas expressed here reflect the experience of our guests and are not the opinion of their chosen path to recovery. What do you think about that? I think that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so today we have another guest, another friend of mine. Everybody so far has been a friend of mine, so just get used to it. Uh, <laughs> this is my good friend Devin, and um, yeah, I've um, I've I remember hearing you do a ten minute uh, and thinking that was the best ten minute uh, spiel I'd heard in a while. Um, and ever since then, I was like, I got to get to know this Devin person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Devin? Um, um, yeah, so I'm Devin. <laughs> um, I have been sober for almost five years. Um, I'll be sober for five years in May 26th. Um, I grew up in... Kill Mississippi, so um, that is South Mississippi, as south as you can get, about 2,000 people. Um, 2,000 people was your town? Yes. <laughs> did, you go to, did you go to the uh, public high school there? I did. So you graduated with, let me guess, about 50 people? It was, it was a little close to 100. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't over 100, but it was close. So 2,000 people? Yeah. That's interesting. I think so. I'm pretty sure it was like I was just doubling like <laughs> <laughs> I was just doubling the amount that sounds about right though I yeah. guess because I I mean my town was a thousand people mm -hmm. in Louis in South Louisiana and yeah. uh, we I went to the public high school and graduated with 35 people yeah that is a small class super small <laughs> like such a small school like insane everybody's always blown away about how like small that is yeah well then you understand how boring small towns are <laughs> yeah 100 there's not much to do <laughs> not much except except drink <laughs> yeah it's <Except. laughs> <That's> exactly it <laughs> um so yes i grew up in you know and it's a very small town and um and my parents like i started drinking when i was 13 um and my parents knew about it I think like it was pretty acceptable because there isn't anything to do in yeah. small towns <laughs> um, except go drink on some field somewhere. And um, and so me and my friends always like went out and and we drank a lot. And and I, as long as I was home and wasn't getting in trouble with the cops, then everything was OK. And um, it wasn't it wasn't weird. I hung out with other people that drank just as much and I just don't remember it being 
it took me a really, really, really long time for me to understand that it was a problem at all because of how normalized it was yeah. in my small town. Yeah, no, totally. Like I was, the people that I drank with, drank, a lot of them drank more than I did or or worse off than I was. I always never really necessarily considered myself like bad off within that community. Yeah. You know, it was just everybody, we drank every weekend. Um, during the week sometimes it was always just what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, uh, the first time I ever got drunk was like, I had people over, it was in my backyard and, um, and I cried about my hamster that had died the week before. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it wasn't like this great experience and I didn't really, you know, like I think I was just too caught up in everything to have like, it wasn't something that I had really made any connection to. Um, but then the, the first time I had gotten drunk alone, like I was, it was before a party. Um, and I was really nervous to be at that party and I was really, um, I was really, um, like just scared to be there. And I had a lot of fear about like being around a lot of people. And that was just kind of like my MO. Like I just didn't like social settings that much. And, um, and I had gotten drunk before the party and it was the first time that I had ever like done that. And it was like orange juice and vodka. I remember cause like it went down real smoothly and, um, and I drank a lot of it. And by the time I arrived at the party, I was really drunk and I was just talking to people and like, I didn't care if they didn't like me. Um, and I didn't care if they like thought I was weird. And, um, and that's like really when I had like this experience with alcohol where I was like, this is it. Like, this is like all I want to do. Cause I think, you know, before that it was, I lived in a, in a trailer. I grew up in a trailer with me and my brother. And, um, was it a trailer park? No, it was just like out in the middle of a, like a field. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, um, and it was just me and my brother and my mom and my dad for, you know, until I went to school and I remember life being pretty cool. And, and then the first time like we had any interaction like with other people was like kind of when we started going to school and that just like really fucked me up. Yeah. (laughs) It was like a really, it was just really weird. And, um, and I didn't know how to interact with people. I thought people were really mean. I was like super sensitive and, um, and I just didn't, it was all, it was just like a weird experience for me. And that was like when I think I felt like just not a part of anything was Mm. like during that time period. And, um, and, I didn't, some people like, I guess when they want to be a part of, they, um, can like change their personality or, um, you know, like try to, or they can become like a bully or, you know, like the way that we like alter ourselves to become like a part of. And for me, it was the opposite. Like I just, instead I like ended up isolating myself or like I wouldn't hang out with people. I felt like a lot of like self pity. I was like a very victimized little child, you know, it's just like wah, 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 like everybody hates me, but I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of enough to like change myself or to like try to make an effort. So I just ended up being like an outsider. And I think like, that's why I just like fell in love with drinking and alcohol so much. It was because it was just like, I didn't care. It wasn't like, I, it wasn't like I was making friends. It was just yeah. like, I could be me. Yeah. Like what I thought was like authentically me. And I didn't care if you liked it or not, or thought I was weird. You know, there was no effort involved in it. Yeah. To no. change or do anything. It's yeah. Just like, 
yeah. just showed up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my drunk self um and so that was like that was it and um and I did it a lot like I guess you know like when you're young it's hard to get your hands on anything but um but you can always like find older people to like to get it for you and um and so we always had like older friends that was that would buy us alcohol and that was just like a thing that we did like every weekend or on parties or whatever we'd go out and drink and um and it was super normal and I really really didn't think anything of it um so I think that like what really when things like really changed or when it started um not being just when I started realizing that I that I think something was different you know like Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just my you know just like a normal thing that people do is uh is when I I went out um till I moved out of my small town um and moved to Los Angeles and I lived out there for about four years and when I moved out to LA I was 20 years old and um I was in a small apartment in West Hollywood and the guy across from me was a man in his like 50s and um, he would wake up every morning like super bright and early and walk down to the corner store and like buy like his beer and come back and he would just like drink all day and um and he didn't have a job and his parents supported him and um and I like really thought that was what alcoholism looked like. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was like the, you know, like alcoholism definition. And so yeah. I was just like, I'm not like that. So like I don't have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that furthered for a little while this idea that like everything was normal and like what I was doing and how I was being was fine. But that night, like I can just remember like talking to him while he's like isolating in his like apartment drinking and I was, I was turning 21, um, and I was just like, I'm going to go to the bar. Um, and it was right before midnight. I was so excited about finally turning 21 and being mm-hmm. able to drink. And I went by myself. Like, it was just me and myself, but I was just, like, so stoked. And, um, and I waited outside the bar until, like, 12.01 to, like, get inside. And, um, and I think turning, turning 21 really, f- like, did it for me, yeah. you know, like, having, like, the ability to – yeah, anytime. That is such yeah. a that's so like that's such a head trip. Like I can get this at any time that I want. Like I'm an adult now. Yeah. Yeah. That fucked me up too. Yeah. I yeah. think it's weird now too, also being sober because it's like no one's telling you you can't. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. I can go. Yeah, you probably could have got into the club before midnight. Yeah. <laughs> if you would have tried. Yeah. Um, so I just so I ended up being there and I and I and I um I remember telling the bartender I was like I had, I don't know, I guess I had made friends with somebody that night and the guy next to me, he came often and I noticed on his receipt that he had like the neighborhood discount. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, how do you get the neighborhood discount? And he was like, you know, do you just come here a lot? You're just like, you know, part of the family or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to get that neighborhood discount uh-huh. in a week. Like <laughs> I wanted it. And, um, and he was like, okay. And, um, and I did, I mean, like I, uh, I just like, I got completely blacked out. I don't really remember much of that night, but, um, but I was so, my life seemed so big and exciting at that moment. Like Mm. it was just, I was in Los Angeles in this new place. I'd worked really hard to get there. And, um, and at that time, alcoholism 
was looking good. And it, and it hadn't right before then. I mean, right before then I had, right before I decided to move to Los Angeles, I had ended up coming out of this long-term relationship, this high school relationship with like my first love. And it really like messed me up. And there was a time period where like, now looking back on it, I realized that like drinking just like made it even worse. But during that, um, during that time period, I, uh, I realized that like I had, I, um, I started drinking to like escape for a little while. I started drinking to, um, to self-destruct. I had, um, it wasn't like fun for a little bit. Like I was just trying to get so far out of myself during that breakup. Yeah. And, um, and that was also like when I started like getting high a lot. Um, I like my, I was, my anxiety was like skyrocketed at that time. It was like the worst it had ever been. And, um, and my friend introduced me to Valium, which was like my best friend. (laughs) Um, and I loved Valium more than I loved anything. And, um, it made me feel so normal. And, um, and I like, but I stopped doing Valium because it scared me. Cause when I, I realized that you could like start taking Valium and like drink and you don't have to drink as much and you get like yeah obliterated and so I started like doing that and then one night I really thought that I was gonna die because I had taken too many so I had stopped it because it scared me so much but it like was a thing that I loved for a while so anyways I had this like bad patch but then I like gotten out of it and found like I was like gonna make a, a, geographic. a, ge- a geographic yeah, yeah like funny because I was thinking also like because I always thought maybe like my alcoholism I don't know when it like really took a, like a, a serious turn, but I remember my first like serious relationship and it was pretty hard for me. Like the breakup was really hard on me. And up until then, yeah, I was drinking a lot. I was using drugs a lot. I was doing all this stuff, but like, I think that was the first time where I really, really turned to it as for refuge. Yeah, like in desperation to like, like save that, you. To save, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that doing that for some reason, I don't. I, I was just imagining like, like that had to be the time where like it was embedded in my brain. Like this is this is your this is it. This is the thing that that's that's gonna save your life. Whenever it's gonna make, it's gonna remove all the thoughts. It's gonna remove all the anxiety. The 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 deep dark moments can be can be can disappear with alcohol you know, like that and and I think for me after that I don't know that I had a moment where I kind of got better for you like it did yeah. for you well I think the reason um that it got better was because I tried committing suicide <laughs> um which is funny that I I don't like didn't even think about mentioning it because it's not the, it wasn't going to be the like the last attempt that I had tried but it was the first time I had tried committing suicide and yeah. so I was like in desperation like had like I was like I was so silly I was like super young and I was just like trying to like slit my wrists in the right way because <laughs> I remember people saying that there's a right way to do it if yeah. you really wanted to die and um and I couldn't do it I was like such a little bitch about it and um and so you wanted to live yeah I mean that's what I realized like while I was sitting here like trying to do it I was like okay you like you're just in a lot of pain and yeah maybe you want to die but like this is crazy like you need help you know and so like I ended up like going to like this 
this counselor and um well first I called like a suicide hotline they kind of talked me down and then I ended up going to this counselor and we just kind of talked to me things we didn't talk about it like drinking she didn't ask me any questions about yeah. my drinking because I also didn't talk about it I didn't link it to anything that was going on you know and um and it kind of got some I just felt better you know just like being able to talk to someone and I think the feeling better gave me like this small moment of clarity that I needed to do a geographic you know yeah. and so and that's when I like decided to move to Los Angeles. And so when I was in LA, alcoholism was once again, like in a good spot. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, it was like not, there was, it, was, it seemed glamorous. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just turned 21. I was in a new city. I was like pursuing acting. Nobody in my small town had done that. And like, it was just this big thing. And I think like you were saying earlier, I did realize that like it was always going to be my thing. Mm -hmm. Like I was totally okay with like spending a lot of my time alone at the bar because like that was my friend and that was like where I felt like me. And I loved the bar. Like, I mean, for, I loved making friends with the bartenders. I loved drinking for free. Like <laughs> I loved, like I would... I would still spend so much money because I would try to make everybody else like around me have, you know, I'd like buy everyone's shots because they wanted them to like feel what I felt mm -hmm. or whatever, or how I thought that I felt. And, um, and so like that was, that was it for a long time. And, um, and it was, it had it, now, I never knew what like DTs, you know, look like, or what, like when you're like detoxing or whatever. But now I realize like I would wake up in the mornings with like the shakes and I didn't know what was happening. You know, I just always like, Oh, I drank too much the night before, but I didn't realize that it like that meant that I was developing like a dependence on it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so like I was a server at a job and I can remember some days carrying around a martini tray and not being able to do it because my hands were shaking so much. Like yeah. I couldn't like lift them because, because it would like spill everywhere. And so I would get like the bussers to like, deliver my martinis to the table because I couldn't do yeah. it and I just didn't make any link it just it really just didn't make any connection in my head I was like oh you just drank too much last night and that was it and um and I would get these awful anxiety hangovers where like I would lay in the booth at work and like lay down and I really thought my head was going to explode you know like I was just so anxious and so like it felt awful and um and I would always like there were so many times just driving to work I would have to like <laughs> like turn over and like puke outside my car and then like go to work and um and I just thought all of that was like I mean it was like I knew it was because I had drank but I didn't think it yeah. was you thought it was just like a normal after effect after a hard night, night yeah. of drinking yeah I remember I used to always shake too uh and I just thought it was like because I was always I always had al alcohol in my system whether yeah. it was like affecting me or not and I would shake and like if I was I worked at this warehouse for a long time and if I had to do something with a tool and somebody was behind me, I would get so like self-conscious because <laughs> no, no, no. Cause like if, if I, if it was a screwdriver and I was trying to get the screwdriver to go into the screw, my hand would just be shaking all <laughs> over the place Yeah, and I'd have to like hold it still and breathe. And it was, it was crazy. Like, yeah, I lived with the shakes. Yeah. It's incredible. Like I never thought that I'd be able to hold my hand and straight. Still, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so that was, that was it. And, um, and I continued like that for a while. I got the neighborhood discounted Barney's made a lot of awful decisions. And, um, I never, I could always hold a job. That was the one thing that I could always do, but it was funny because my boss, my boss 
my bosses would always make make jokes about like me drinking and um constantly they they would be like uh like I remember one day I was like oh it's the fourth of July like I'm gonna go like get trashed after this and they would be like how is that any different than any other day you know Mm. like and I just thought it was funny like I I was like oh like I'm the alcoholic and it's funny and um and and stuff and uh and but my but my boss would never let me be a bartender I like wanted to I had been there for a while and um and I'd worked really hard I was like working consistently and constantly and I wanted to be a bartender so bad and he did not trust me to be a bartender and he would not let me be a bartender and um and it would make me so mad but it was because like I was even though I worked a lot I was always late (laughs) um and I was always like dying from the night before you know and um and I just like he knew that I drank a lot I think the first time that I really realized that like and it was more so now that I've like done some work on it and I've looked at my past and have like a new perception on it but um I never tried to control my drinking you know like I always like if I was gonna I never understood why anyone drank to like get a little tipsy or you know what I mean it didn't make any sense to me and and so when I drank I always drank to get drunk like it that's what I did and um and so but one one day it was a a double at work and um and I even told my boss I was like it was, it was, it was like Thanksgiving. I think that's what it was. And I had worked the, the morning and then I was going to have a break and work that night. And, um, in the morning time, I, um, I like after, after the shift, I was like, I'm going to go get a bar. I mean, I'm going to go get a beer at the bar across the street. And my boss knew about it. And he was like, that's fine. Um, go ahead. And I had all intentions of just getting a beer. Like I was just going to like get a beer, chill out. Cause I only had like an hour until my next shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I went to the bar with my friend and one beer turned into five shots. Like, I don't like, you know, like it was mm-hmm. just like, I had had a beer. We were having a good time. We had made a lot of money. I was like, you know what I mean? Like, I just remember being like, I can like handle a shot. And we took a shot. And then when I, and I would always do that, you know, I'd have one shot and I'd be like, okay, like another one yeah. and another one and another one. And so I had five like in a such a sh- short time period and I like we ended up leaving the bar and I thought I was I thought I was normal like I thought I was pretty sober and as soon as we walked into the restaurant to like come on for our second shift I guess we were laughing and talking really loudly and I, my boss like like was like come to the office now and like we both went in the office and he was like y'all are trash like what are you doing like you know like this you know this is like this Thanksgiving like you know what I mean like it's a like they're we're really busy like I need you and we we need y'all and and like we convinced him that we could work drunk and um and he did like he let us but he was like if you mess this up like you're like you know like this is like like he was so disappointed and um and I ended up finishing out the shift and I think I was fine you know and and he I mean like he didn't say anything after that really but I can just remember being like I didn't I didn't think that I was as drunk as I was you know and like and I was I was like I was really I yeah. should not have been there. Yeah, and that's it. Like everybody, you, you you don't think you're getting drunk to get, you're, you're drinking to get drunk necessarily because yeah. you think, I used to think that, I never thought that I was like 
the obnoxious drunk. Yeah. Never thought <laughs> yeah. that. I was always like, I'm fun. I get yeah. so funny when I'm drunk. Yeah. <laughs> like I never thought that I was as drunk as I actually was. Yeah. You know, until like my family and when I got sober, some of them would say like, dude, you were the most obnoxious person <laughs> yeah. when you would drink. Yeah. Like, really though? And I still kind of live with that delusion where I was like, nah, I was funny. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I, was... I think we think that we are our best selves. And then we like, we realize yeah. that like, we have no idea how we really yeah. were only the other people I'd like around to see us. some video yeah just to like to to really bring that that home yeah. you know um God. yeah i used to like i would i would fall asleep i consistently fell asleep at the bar i would just like like two seconds i'd be talking to somebody and the next one i'd be like out on the bar they'd always have to kick me out for falling asleep yeah um i've like would get so drunk that I'd be standing up and I guess like I just become a, like narcoleptic I think when I'm drunk but like when I get to that level I would I would rarely black out what would happen is I'd be like standing up and then all of a sudden I'd be like out and like I'm like passed out on the ground it was like the craziest things and that happened to me a lot I like busted my head open on my 22nd um my 22nd birthday I drank too much and I like <laughs> fell asleep on the toilet and like fell over and busted my head open like just like crazy stuff uh. and I was so mad that they made me go home they had like a video recording of me like talking to my friends and I was pissed off at them for making me go home I remember that I was like why did you make me leave and they were like you were bleeding and we thought that you actually might have needed like stitches you know but like I was so mad about that so like those are like I know it was bad you know um but what what eventually happened was is that I, um, so I, I had come home and I, I came home and visited uh, my family for Mardi Gras, which is something I always did. I missed my cousin's birthdays. I missed my cousin's wedding. I missed funerals and so many really important things in my life that I should have been there for. And I always said that it was too expensive to come home and I couldn't be there, but I always made sure I could come home for Mardi Gras. Yeah. <laughs> always. Like, Mardi Gras like, was so important for me too. I would, it, I would, I would, I would like work Christmas for people. Be like, Look, I'll work Christmas and New Year's. Even I'll give up New Year's if yeah. I can get Mardi Gras. Yeah. <laughs> it was my favorite time because people were getting drunk as me starting at like as early as early. me yeah like day drunk all the time yeah and i loved being day drunk you know but it was normal and you could do it for like weeks straight and um and so like i always came home for mardi gras because it's not in california so i was home for mardi gras and um and i was talking to my friend who used to i used to date his brother who was um a drug dealer and at some point I am I like when I was young after that breakup I had thought that like I could start selling drugs and <laughs> and it like went really bad and this guy ended up just stealing a bunch of money from me like a lot of money that I was trying to save up for Los Angeles and um and he had done something similar um to his own brother and my, like my friend and um and I felt bad for him and because I had like related to that spot and he was trying to like come out to Los Angeles too and so I was like come live with me, like, come out to Los Angeles, live with me, um, you can stay on my couch until you get on your feet, and, um, and he did, he, like, flew out two weeks later, and, um, <laughs> naturally, I, like, started sleeping with him, like, a week later, and then we, like, ended up being in a relationship together, and, um, it was the first relationship that I had really been in 
after my, the first relationship that went really bad and, um, I was super in love and, um, I mean, my drinking was still like there and, uh, you know, he smoked a lot of weed, like we got high together a lot. Like it was just, but, but I was so in love, you know, it's just like, I thought that it was like the first time that I had been able to actually be in this monogamous relationship since my first relationship. And, um, and, and that I had felt any sort of any feelings, um, past like desiring someone. And so I let, I let this guy like, like I said, I let him stay with me. He had a job, um, but he didn't have a car. And so he would use my car to go to work all the time. And he, he would tell me that he was hanging out with friends after work. And, um, when I believed him and I like one day found out that he wasn't hanging out with friends he was like seeing this girl like every time he had told me that he was like just hanging out with friends after work that he was like seeing this girl from his job and like it really took me by surprise um I had like thought that I had was like I had just given so much to someone and like really put in a lot of like time and effort and energy into this person and also like financial you know as well and just like so much trust and it it was like a really it was a really breaking moment for me and um and we ended up separating, I guess. This is like happened within a week's time. We ended up like kind of separating, but he was still living with me. We had a lease together. And um, and I, I started, it was the first time that I, I couldn't, st- I couldn't spend a second in my skin. Like not even like a second, you know, like beforehand, like I could like escape through work or, um, you know, or but like and then after work I could get drunk you know so like there was never a moment where like I had like these long periods of time where I was like okay in my skin um but I but I could but I could live with it you know what I mean but now I but but then it turned to where I couldn't even like I just couldn't spend a second like I couldn't I couldn't walk out my door without without like wanting to drink or do something because I just needed to like be out of myself completely. And, um, and it, it it really scared me. And I, uh, I like became super agoraphobic during that week. Like I said, like leaving the house became like such an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was already an issue before I was already drinking to go to like grocery shopping. But like now I'm like, I don't even want to like step a foot outside my door for any sort of reason um, even to drink, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to drink in my home, (laughs) you know, and like away from everybody. And, um, and it was just pretty awful. And I was doing it consistent. I was just like, I would, I was still like, not, no, I was, I was getting a little drunk at work. (laughs) Um, but I was, but I was like, as soon as like, as soon as I could, I was like throwing alcohol in my system or getting high or just doing something to get out of myself. And, um, and so I woke up, I went to sleep one night after being all drunk the whole entire day and um, I woke up from sleeping in a full-fledged panic attack like it had woke me up out of my sleep and I was like shaking I thought I was gonna die and I my my head went immediately to I need to go get drunk and I knew that that was like I something clicked in my head where I was like this is a problem like I, I don't need to do, like, I need to 
I need to face this, you know, like I can't keep living like this. Mm. And so I called my father up that night. So weird. This is, so this is May 25th of, you know, like almost five years ago. And I called my dad up. I guess it was technically the 24th because it was like after midnight that night. But anyways, I called my dad up. It's like after midnight. It's super late. And I'm like, dad, I'm like talking to him and explaining how much I'm like having problems. And I was like, I'm going to, I told him I was going to go find a church. You know, <laughs> like, um, cause I, from like, I knew that sometimes churches kept open, you know, and you can just go sit in them, which they don't really do anymore. They don't. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that. Like, it's not a thing. I wish they did. Yeah. Like, I wish I could go into one of those really fancy Catholic churches yeah. sometimes in New Orleans. I'm like, I wish I could go in there right now. But yeah. I can't. <laughs> yeah. And, but it used to be like that, you know, it used to like, you could like call sanctuary. Like you could always yeah. just like have shelter in like a church. And so, um, I was like convinced I was going to go find a church and like sit in it and like have like a come to Jesus moment, you know, where I like, I just like faced all of my crap. Um, and I was going to do it. Like I was like so determined and, um, and I didn't even look for a church. Instead, what I did is I got up and I went and got margaritas at the bar where my ex-boyfriend worked because I knew the girl that he was seeing was also going to be working. And mm. I watched them the whole time that I got drunk at this bar and like just saw that the way that they were interacting and realized that like every, you know, like that, like it had been happening for a while and that they had this like relationship. And, um, and I ended up throwing my keys at him. I remember that like I walked into their kitchen, which is crazy because he was back there talking to her and I threw my keys at him to the car. And I was like, you can, you can have it. And I was just like so upset. And I walked across the street and got even more drunk at this other bar on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And, um, and I remember sitting at this bar, like drinking whiskey, which is something that I love to do. And it always helped everything. And the other thing that I loved more than anything was attention. And I remember like drinking whiskey. And I remember like these group of like five attractive guys, like sitting here talking to me. And I remember like, just like blank stare looking at them being like this isn't working like none of this is working and so I like walked back to sunset and he was sitting in my car talking to that girl and I lost it I've never been a violent person I have never been a fighter I've never been like any of that but I like threatened her I like started shouting at her somebody had to like hold me back like <laughs> like little me like was like trying to throw punches like it was pretty insane and like this is, Sunset Boulevard's like a it's a pretty famous street it's pretty like <laughs> it's pretty out open in the air you know yeah. and I'm like just acting a crazy person and um and we were so is that is that Pink Taco on Sunset Boulevard and um their garage they had like parking on the bottom floor and then if you drove up this little hill they had parking on this like top level um so it's like kind of a parking structure but there was like a it's like a grassy hill and so it's just on top of the hill but it was kind of far from the ground level um where other people were parked at so I'm standing at the top of this hill and I'm yelling at him and screaming at him and he just looks at me like deadpan like he's just like uh like Said, like just didn't care I remember him just being like so silent and I couldn't get any sort of reaction out of him and so I like 
literally like threw up like the deuces like I was like peace and I turned around and walked off this like parking thing (laughs) and um and I like rolled down this hill like hit some branches like really like I mean like I had like brush burns all scratched up and like before like this little drop to the cement somebody must have like saw this all going down and had ran down there and had caught me and so um they like caught me and they like and then y'all lived happily ever after (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely and so they like brought me back up to my to their car and the whole time I'm not even processing what's happening I'm still yelling at him and the girl while he's carrying like while I'm being carried to the car and wrestled in and they're like we're gonna get you home you just need to like chill out and so I got back to my apartment and somebody like was there for a little bit and then they left me alone and I I remember shutting myself in the bathroom and sitting with like all the lights out with the knife in my hand being like I've got to fucking do like I just got to do it like I've just got to be over this and um and I don't remember, I think maybe I just was so drunk I fell asleep or I don't, I don't know what stopped me, but I just like, just ended up going to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, the, uh, this, my, my other roommate that lived with us was there and my ex-boyfriend had ended up coming in from the night before and I tried talking to him and it was nothing had been fixed obviously only made it worse and um and so I realized that like my reality wasn't changing like there was nothing I could do to change the situation and I was right back before like the the day before you know where I was just like couldn't be in my skin and I was like something has to change and I just thought that I just couldn't live in my body anymore and so I told my roommate at the time my other roommate and I said I need I need you to take me to um like a psych hospital like I need to go somewhere like I need to check myself in like I can't I can't be a part of like this life anymore like I can't and um it was Memorial Day and she took me to this um I just like literally googled like psychiatric hospital you know and she like took me to this place that was the nearest one by and since it was Memorial Day it was closed and um I was standing, I was standing outside this building, like knocking on the door and I kept knocking and nobody answered and they had this little machine and I kept clicking it and finally somebody came over and was like, can I help you? Like we're closed. It's Memorial Day. And, um, I just looked at my friend. I didn't know what to say. And I just like said, listen, I just need help. Like I need help. Um, like I'm scared and I need help. And, um, they opened up the door and I came inside and this lady set me down in this little room and I just told her that I like needed to be like locked up. Like I needed to be away from everybody. Um, cause I couldn't like, like I was, I couldn't live anymore. And, um, so we sat in this little room and she was like, okay, like I can like, um, I'm going to call up this place and see if they have any beds. I can get you in this place. And, um, and she was like, sent me like had all this paperwork and she was like, you need to fill it out. And just so you're aware that, um, if you want like that, you can't leave until like, once you check your, yourself in you're you can't leave until like doctors think that you're like capable of leaving. Um, she was like, we're going to put you on a 5150, which means that you have to stay there for a minimum of three days. And then afterwards it's like up to the doctor's decision, whether or not he wants to let you go. And I started freaking out. Like Mm. that was the moment where I was like, oh, wait a second. Like I have work tomorrow. Like I have an apartment. I have a cat. Like I just started freaking out. And so I didn't think it was going to work. And I remember looking 
at this lady and I was like, you know what? Like, I think I'm overreacting here. Like, never mind. Like, I like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And, um, and she like looked at me and it's such a weird thing. I think some, every time I think of this moment, I really believe like it's God. Like, uh, there's no doubt about it. Like, it was just such a weird thing to say to somebody and she didn't need to, or I don't know. But anyways, this lady looked at me and then I'm like this tone that was like, <laughs> not very motherly like it was so strict she was like she like even pointed at me I can remember it she was like something brought you in here today and how dare you turn your back on it (laughs) and I was like damn (laughs) all right lady like I had never been talked to that like by a stranger or you know like and it was just like this really like powerful statement that I was like okay and I like just kind of like I was like I'm all right like you're right like I guess I do need to be here. And so um, Hmm. I signed off on this thing. I called up my friend, take care of my cat. I told my work what was happening, Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then I got picked up in this ambulance and transported to the psych hospital. And um, and I wrote, when you when you get there, you have to write on a piece of paper why you're being checked in. And I wrote on this piece of paper, I said, it said, like, why are you here today? And I said, and I still hadn't made the connection. It's still not going off in my mm. head, but I wrote it down anyways. And I said, suffers from severe anxiety and depression that can only be helped through alcohol and sex. <laughs> and that's what I wrote. And, um, and then I came into this little room and this guy started talking to me and he started asking me about my alcohol use uh. and asked me about my anxiety and asked me about my depression. The first thing that he started talking to me was about how often do you drink? He was like, when was the last time you drank? I'm like, you know, yesterday, how much was it? Um, when was the time before that? You know, like, oh, the day before, you know, and he's like, when you do drink, how much are you drinking? And like, just like getting really like specific about my alcoholism, which I thought was so weird and it had like. I just didn't understand it. And then at the end of it, it started kind of like clicking to me. And he was like, okay, he was like, I'm going to put you in this ward. Um, it's for people weaning off of drugs and alcohol. Like it's pretty, like, it's pretty calm. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, okay. And, um, and he was like, if you want to call anyone, you can. And, um, and so I like went up to this phone and I called my friend and I was like, so I think, this guy thinks that I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and my friend was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, and, I, and it like all made sense to me in a way. And, but I, I don't think that it made so much sense. I was just desperate enough in that moment. I needed something to be yeah. different that somebody said, this is your problem. And I was like desperate enough to be like, yeah, okay, if that's my problem, then like let's look at it and let's figure it out because I just wanted things to be different. Yeah. And so I detoxed in that psych unit for three days. Um, I ended up being held for another fourth day for denying medication, but whatever. And um, and I was I was told that I had problem with alcohol and that I like was an alcoholic and like an addict and that I like needed to be sober. And so when I was released, I like ended up going home the next two days and they made sure before I went home that like whoever I was going home with made sure that I went to a meeting, um, like a 12 step recovery program. Like I needed to go to a 12 step recovery program. That was what, that was the only way that I got out of that psych unit was if someone told me that's where I needed to be. Hmm. And so, um, so that's kind of where the, uh, the change starts begins. Yeah. The whole, all right, cool. (laughs) 
I don't even know if I'm speaking into this mic. Uh-huh. All right, cool. We'll take a break right there, and we'll be right back. Cute. Okay, we're back from break. Um, and so at this point, you had getting out of the psych ward, psych unit. Um, I worked at a psych ward once for like Ooh, two years. It's crazy place. <laughs> oh my god, it was like such an experience. I was really scared I was gonna be stuck in there. <laughs> oh lord. Um, that's got to be scary to be yeah. like committed to that. I would have done the same thing. I don't know that what she told me would have convinced me <laughs> to stay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, whatever that means, I'm still leaving. I'm not going in here. Like if I would. <laughs> it was scary. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It really is like some girl interrupted stuff. It was not. It was scary. Mm. I was. I was scared they weren't going to let me out. <laughs> but you were also in the detox unit, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. They, and they can still, but they can still, I mean, they, I got, I, like in the, the four days I was there, I got in trouble every day <laughs> for something. And like every time you get in trouble, they take it as like a sign that you're not like. Mm, getting better. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get compliant. You know? Yeah. So yes, ma'am. Yeah. Take the pills. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I th- didn't think I was going to leave on the third day, I was like freaking out and like screaming at this lady. And she was like, she looked at me and she was like, listen you see all those people behind me? And I was like, yes, ma'am. She was like, they're all watching you right now. She was like, I need you to calm down or it's going to be longer. And I was like, okay. I was like, well then give me fucking something to calm down, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> but they didn't because I was like, when I, when I was in the psych ward, I tried convincing it. They, they told me that they would give me an antidepressant, but I tried convincing them that I needed like benzo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I need <laughs> yeah. And they were like, no. <laughs> well, they wouldn't let you, well, so it wasn't like a, so how did you detox? You detoxed? No. Yeah. Well, they just like, I wasn't, um, I mean, they come by and check your vitals and uh, like flu, you know, give you like fluids or whatever. And so they just like make sure that you're not going to like have a seizure or pass out on they them. Give you- Valium, yeah. In case, okay. Yeah, but they weren't. He that's, made it very clear that he was not going to give me that, which was really upsetting. I thought that they. <laughs> that's reckless, though. I would. Yeah. <laughs> of them, then I'd, I've always felt like you have to give somebody. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I just don't know the game. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I mean, I think they gave me pills right when I got there. I mean, I don't. You know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I was so out of it. I don't remember anything except, like, I'm. I was out of it. I want. I'm way. So I'm already a tiny person. I'm five nine, and I weigh. My, I weigh like 120 now, I think. And when I when I was in there, I weighed 106. Yikes! That's yeah, still five. Oh yeah, I guess you hadn't grown some. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same height. So, but it was like I was deathly skinny. I couldn't eat. I can't eat when oh, man. I couldn't eat. Um, but yeah, I just slept a lot. I had to like wake up and go to like these, like, kind of like meetings. I don't know, but they were just like an out where they talk about like addiction and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, it wasn't necessarily like 12 step programs or anything, but they just like come in and like a doctor tells you how yeah. addiction works. And so, uh, yeah, and it was up to you whether or not you want to go to it. But if you don't go to it, <laughs> yeah. they know. <laughs> so not compliant. Yeah. All right. So, so then when you got out, they, were, they said you have to go to some 12 step meetings and your roommate brought you and you said, no. no. So I went home, my dad. Okay. With your dad. You so to uh, Mississippi. Yeah. I flew back home just to spend time with my family afterwards. And um, I had no intention of going to a meeting. I had no intention of going to a meeting. I was also prescribed like antidepressants. I had no intention of taking the antidepressants. I just was like, I'm fine. Like, 
I know that I'm an alcoholic and I just can't drink or I can't, you know, like and I'm an addict. So that means I can't do anything else. And so I was like, that was like it, you know, it was just like this. So I'm going to live my life. And, um, but I had no intention of like, that was, I just thought that was it, you know, but they had, they had called my father. Like they were like, if she comes home, like you need to do this. And my dad's like this very strict <laughs> man. And, um, he like came and knocked on my door and was like, you need to, like, you got to go to a meeting. And I was like, Dad, I really don't want to. I don't feel good. Like, I couldn't. I didn't sleep. I was still, like, awake from the night before. It took me, like, three or four weeks after getting sober for me to finally be able to, like, sleep throughout the night. I just couldn't do it. And um, and so I, had, like, heard the birds chirping. Like, I was still up. And I was like, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to go anywhere. And he was like, you have to go. Like, you have to. I was like, fine. And so they had given my, like, they had literally sent me home with, like, a list of, like, 12-step meetings to go to. And um, they were like, so my dad looked at it, and he was like, there's one right up the street. That was in Kiln? That was in, yeah, Diamond Head. Um, my parents moved to Diamond Head, which is right by Kill. It's, like, in the same vicinity, I guess. But, um, and so it was in Diamond Head, which is a retirement community. Um, oh Lord! So there's probably some old folks up in them meetings. Oh, it was all old folks. I was the <laughs> only person over the age, I mean, under the age of fifty, and I'm not exaggerating. Um. <laughs> like that is not an exaggeration. Like everybody in that meeting was over the age of fifty, and it was a big meeting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I like rolled up to this like church in Diamond Head, and I was wandering inside, and I can remember this so vividly. I didn't know where it was. And now, you know, you look for like 12 step meetings from people smoking cigarettes outside of the building, but you can also find them from people laughing inside the rooms. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I like was looking and trying to find, no, and I heard people laughing behind the store and it was like the only sound that I'd heard in this whole building. And so I was like, this has got to be it. And I like opened up these doors and these people were smiling and laughing and chatting with each other. And I'm just like a wreck. And I'm like, is this a meeting? And they were like, yeah. And I was, I started crying. Uh, uh. <laughs> I just started like bawling and these like older women like set me down and, um, and they were like, it's going to be okay. And the meeting started and they were reading stuff, which now I realize it's not like anything special or different from any other meeting that you would ever go into, but they were reading this stuff and I was like relating to it a lot. And I was just like, you know, it's talking about like, being young and um and thinking you know that I'm too young to be sober I don't it was just like all these I just remember that being a big thing or and like how we couldn't safely use alcohol or drugs in any form and I just like felt so defeated and I'm just crying the entire time and um and, and I don't I find that they don't do this in larger meetings but they do it in smaller meetings so since I was un, since it was my first meeting ever they turn the entire meeting into, um, into like, a, like basically they went around the whole circle and everybody talked about their first time in a meeting and everyone talked about like getting sober Yeah. and, um, and it was literally a meeting just for me basically, yeah. um, which they don't, I, you know, I guess they can't do that in larger ones cause there's so yeah. many people, but it was, and, but they changed the format just for that. And, um, I remember that being the case when, Whenever I, or at least that's what I felt. I always felt like if I went, like I'd go to meetings from time to time, like before, way before I actually got sober. And I, 
And that almost bothered me. Though. <laughs> like I was like, man, they, I'm going to go. I'm going to say I'm, I'm fresh off the streets or yeah. whatever. And they're going to all share at me. Yeah. They're all going <laughs> to. Yeah. <laughs> they're all going to like say something towards me. And it's going to yeah. be very. I didn't like that. Yeah. Like, it made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. But I guess the opposite could be like it'd be comforting, I guess, too. Yeah. Well, I think it took me halfway through the circle to realize that they were sharing at me. Uh. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize it until like yeah. I was like, oh, like. They're trying to like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, I didn't get sweet. it. Yeah, it was sweet. Um, <laughs> white haired. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these ladies gave me their numbers, said to call them. Uh, I was, I, I still walked out of that meeting being like, I'm, I'm not going to another one. Yeah. I did it. I did the deal. I went to a meeting like they said I needed to do. I'm not going. So I went back to LA and, um, my friend that I worked with who had been sober for a really long time, who I did not know was going to 12-step meetings, um, texted me and was checking on me the whole time that I had, like, I mean, I got, when I got back to L.A., I made, like, this big announcement basically being, like, this is what happened, this is where I'm at, this is why I've been gone and absent and, like, and whatnot. And so he was just checking on me and stuff, and he asked me, he said, are you going to go to a meeting? And I was like, no. <laughs> and um, he was like, you need to go to a meeting. And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, you made an hour out of your day, at least an hour out of your day, every day to get drunk. You can make an hour out of your day to go show up and sit down in some meeting. And I was like, whatever. Shaw, that's his name. I was like, I'll go to a meeting and so I looked up where a 12-step meeting was and there was one down the street literally a block away from me that was starting in an hour mm-hmm. and um Los Angeles is great there's literally a meeting every single every like on the hour every like every hour throughout the day it can be I mean it's crazy you can yeah. go to a meeting and all within like walking distance of wherever you are so I walked down the street <laughs> this meeting and they were having a meeting before the meeting it was this thing called feast on the steps and they were talking about the steps and um they're just like i had gotten there early and they were just talking about like it was like a panel and they were just like having these long discussions on the steps and at the end somebody asked is there any questions and i ended up raising my hand and i was like is this a meeting (laughs) (laughs) and everybody laughed and they were like you're in the right place um the meetings after this and i was like they were like just you know like sit tight and i was like okay cool that's interesting so they had like a panel discussion before and yeah the meeting that was like scheduled for that day yeah it was only on it was only on sundays or like it was like weird it was like it happens only like a certain amount of months like it's something that they would do like reoccurring and um and so and they had like the regular scheduled meeting and i remember listening to it and um so like my my idea of 12-step programs before going to one was that like what i had saw in movies where everyone's in a circle and then they talk about their problems and everybody like says like it's okay and like that's it you know what i mean yeah pats you on the back and like that's it and so it was really interesting to me because this guy was sitting at the front he was just talking about his experience strength and hope and like just like telling his story you know about how he got sober and um and then when he started talking about he kept saying like this program of recovery. And when he started talking about working the steps, 
he's like kept pointing at this like thing that was hanging behind him that had 12 steps on it, which I'd never seen before in my entire life. I didn't know anything about it. And he just kept pointing at it and he kept talking about it and he kept saying spiritual experience, spiritual experience, like spiritual awakening. And, um, and he kept saying it over and over again. And I like didn't really understand what he was talking about, but I knew that that's what I needed. Like he was talking about feeling all of these feelings of desperation and darkness and problems and how he like then had a spiritual experience through working the steps. And so I was like, that's what I, that's what I want. Like, I know that's what, cause I, I know that like I need that. I know, I know what darkness feels like. And if something is telling me that maybe this can make it better then I want this. And so then I also heard him, he said it so many times. He was like, get a sponsor get a sponsor get a sponsor and um and I was like okay so um after the meeting this like really hot guy stood up and talked about how they were gonna do this thing called fellowshipping after the meeting at this like burger joint and I thought he was so cute and um (laughs) and then this girl came up to me who had also come out up to me before the meeting started um her name was Justine and she like was telling she was like just talking to me being Miss Chatty Cathy I didn't know why she was talking to me (laughs) so much and um and she was just like giving me her number telling me if I needed anything blah 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 (laughs) so um I decided that I was gonna follow this cute boy to like this fellowshipping thing and so I went to this thing this fellowshipping thing and it was like just him and like three other people um, and like, they were just like talking and hanging out. And I just thought, you know, like it was a talk and hang out kind of thing. And then they were also told me that I needed to get a sponsor and I was like, okay, I'll get one. And then <laughs> this, the cute boy was like, I'm going to go to this other meeting that's starting soon. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like went to this other meeting, which was at a hall and it was, I love that place so much. Huh. I have so many good memories there, but um, I was at this hall and uh, people were outside and they were talking and hanging out and um, and I went inside and I went to this meeting and this meeting was a lot more rambunctious. People talked throughout the whole meeting the entire time and it was laughing and calling, making jokes and like it was just like kind of crazy. <laughs> and this was like a, a like a later time. Yeah, like it's midnight? like a yeah, it was a ten a ten yeah. um, ten p.m. meeting. Yeah, <laughs> and um. And it just gets wild in there and, uh, and it still is to this day. It hasn't changed a bit. And, um, so after the meeting, that same girl that had talked to me, the other meeting was there and she came up to me again and she kept talking to me and I was like, okay, like they told me I need a sponsor. So like, I'm just going to ask this girl to be my sponsor. I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do it. And so I did. And I asked her to be my sponsor and she was so ecstatic. (laughs) Um, she had only had like a year and, um, but she was like so happy. I think I was like That's really crazy. her first like sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and so she said, this is what we do. You need to, um, she like said, I needed to go to meetings as often as I can. I needed to call her every day. Um, sometimes she wouldn't answer the phone, but I just needed to like let her know how I was doing. And, um, and I needed to, go to a, getting a home group, which is like, go to a meet, a 12 step meeting, like consistently and um and I needed commitments like at these meetings and that was like picking up chairs you know or washing dishes or whatever and um and I was like okay and she was like and we're gonna meet an hour and we're gonna read through this book and um and I did I met 
with that girl and I read through the book and um she let me go through it as much as I wanted to and I was eager to do it I think like that's just the part of myself that's like always has been like a go-getter and like wants to like complete the things and so we would read and she would like there was at one point I remember being like okay like we've read a lot like you need to just like digest this stuff and like we'll come back to it another day but she would just like like if I wanted to keep going we kept going and then um and so I like that's awesome yeah at, it was, at that at that point of my recovery I was like if I made it an hour with yeah. a sponsee like I was like okay this is, yeah. this is taking sometimes I wouldn't make it to an hour I was yeah. so bad um it was great though but yeah. my life became very new and different I was showing up with meetings with her there were um a lot of attractive people that I'd never seen before and I was really excited about it inside like meetings became I didn't know what to do with myself I lost all my friends people don't like tell you that but you lose like all yeah. of your friends and well friends <laughs> you know and um people don't want to hang out with me because I wasn't drinking and I didn't know what to do I, I literally didn't know what I liked I was like I have no idea what I like to do so I would literally just stay at home when I wasn't like at a meeting and I would just like lay on my floor listen to sad music chain smoke cigarettes and like drink coffee or Red Bull and wonder why I couldn't sleep and like you know like but that was like I didn't know what to do so like going to meetings was like the only thing that like I that like was fun for me or that I knew that I enjoyed doing because mm -hmm. there were people there that were exciting and happy and there were there were people my age which I didn't know like I met so many people there was this meeting out in Los Angeles that was um never called never had a legal drink and so I had met people that like had gotten sober before they ever turned 21 and yeah. um and that was wild to me I didn't know that thing was kind of possible and um and so like there was just so many young people and they were doing so many fun things. Like we would always go out to eat after the meeting. Sometimes we'd stay in coffee shops and literally like just drink coffee until 4am and, um, and laugh. And I loved it and it was exciting. And, yeah. um, it was, it was great. And I realized after a month in that I had not, I hadn't had an anxiety attack, which was mind blowing to me. I used to get one every single day and I thought that I was going to be the rest of my life. And then I realized that just being sober had caused me not to have an anxiety attack in a while. And that, that was a tangible result, you know, like something I could see that I knew something was changing and something was different. And, um, and so I, so I, so I kept with it and, um, and life was so weird and so beautiful. Um, I, there was like a time period in my life where I was going to a 12 step meeting like every single day. And, um, and I just remember like so many things, little things were changing in my life. I remember the first time that, um, I called, I, I had my, my ex-boyfriend who was still living with me was thinking about getting sober. Oh, wow. Y'all were still living with each other? Yeah. We lived together for six months wow. afterwards. It was crazy. So, um, we were still living together and he was thinking about getting sober and the girl that he was like 
that he had cheated on me with was thinking about getting sober. And so I called up my sponsor and I was like, like freaking out. And I was like, what if they both end up coming to a, I mean, coming to meetings, you know, and that, um, and they, and I, I just like see them all the time. And like, this is so stupid. And like, they get this big and beautiful life that like I'm working towards <laughs> and they don't deserve it. And like all of this shit, like I was just so upset. I can imagine like if, if, if feeling like they're like stepping in on your territory, yeah. you're like your, your sanctuary. Right. Yeah. It was like, I was freaking yeah. out and she was like, it was the first time I'd ever heard this and it changed my life, like changed my life completely. She was just like, you're future tripping right now. She was like, has any of this happened yet? And I was like, no. She was like, have you seen them at a meeting? Uh -huh. I was like, no. And she was like, okay, like it's not happening. And like you worrying about, it, it's not going to do anything, yeah. you know? And like that was revolutionary for me. You know, I think that was like one of the first spiritual experiences that I had was like realizing that like, most of my life had been characterized by this like idea of me like sitting in my head all day, uh, you know, future tripping, future tripping. Yeah. like <laughs> literally hours and thinking that if I could like think of all of the possible ways like A, B, C, D, E, that this was going to happen and figure out what I was going to do if A, B, C, D, E happened, then like I would be safe and like yeah. things would be fine or it'd make me feel better. And I would do it for hours and hours and hours. And like half of the time, A, B, C, D, E didn't even happen. And when it did, I didn't react in the way that I like had planned yeah. to react. And so like, that was so big for me. That was like the first time I was like, whoa, like something, and that like changed me, you know? And so when I got to, um, you know, first, second, the first and second step, I've never, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty open about this. I've never had a firm first step. I wasn't, I don't have a relapse in my story. Um, I didn't ever try to control my drinking and like, a real sort of way and so sometimes my head will still be like do I need to be here you know and um and I and and it's and it was because like I never tr tried to put it away you know and um and so like but I realized after working the steps and I'll get into more but after working the steps that I had had that my life was so much more bigger and beautiful than it was before I had gotten sober and, um, and I knew that like something was changing and I didn't want to like throw that all away to figure out whether or not like I yeah. really like that I deserved it's a not, seat here, even worse you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and so, uh, you know, like, but I wanted, I want, you know, the only requirement is the desire to stop drinking. So I wanted to be there and, um, and so I did. And then the second step, I had always had some sort of relationship, with a God and, um, and that wasn't like really hard for me, um, to do. I had like thrown away my old conceptions of God for a long time. Like I had already realized before coming into A that like, I mean, before coming into like recovery that, I, that what I, that what I wanted was, um, that like that I had needed something different than like the God that I had like grown up with because I grew up like super Catholic and it was not working. And, um, <laughs> Did, were you in Catholic youth group? No, but I, I was confirmed. Like I went to Sunday school every yeah. single Sunday and I'm like actually like confirmed in the Catholic church and too. stuff. Yeah. And like, like <laughs> it was so weird. Cause we never went to church. My yeah. mom would just send me to catechism on Wednesdays. Yeah. Like go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> the day after my confirmation, I was like, I'm done with this. Bye. <laughs> and, um, 
which is funny. It was just like me again, which is something also has changed because of sobriety. I used to just be like super, I felt like I needed to be super obedient and like do these things to like be a, a good person. Yeah. And, um, whether or not I believe them, which is like a form of dishonesty, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, and I don't do that anymore. Um, and I had to really look at that when I got to the fourth step. Um, so, but the third step was like the biggest for me. I didn't, I hated reading book. I didn't like a lot of it. Um, in the beginning I thought it was super boring. And then when they started talking about the third step and this whole idea of like, the whole, this whole idea of, of trying to control everything, um, and trying to, you know, make sure everybody's like doing what I think that they should be doing because I think that I know best and um and that it never works out for me, you know? I re- I like I related to it so much. My sponsor had made me take in like this part that part in the book where they're talking about all of like of, you know, of being the actor trying to run the show. Um, instead of letting the director do it, you know, and I like, she'd made me take in that whole part of the book and I had to put it in I form. Mm-hmm. So like it had to like make it relate to me and I had to read it every night for a week before I went to bed. And every time I read it, I just remember feeling like, this is me, like, <laughs> fuck, like this yeah. is me, this is me. I do this all the time. Like half of my social anxiety is because in my head I'm sitting there being like, thinking about whether or not that person said something that could have offended the person next to them or like, does this other person Uh, like the place that we're at? Or like, you know what I mean? Like so many, so much of that was just like me, like, you know, like trying to control the situation. And so, um, yeah, that part always resonates with me. Yeah. Still to this day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know know why, like my, my, my sponsor made me write actor cannot be director (laughs) on the top. And I was like, whoa yeah (laughs) (laughs) right it's so simple but it really does like it's so big yeah Yeah, it makes so much sense and um (laughs) and so I love the third step and so I tried to like I also I had we, we had written down the steps and we had also talking about um the principles behind the step and step two you know believing in a higher power was like the principle of um hope like having hope and then step three which is like you know came to believe like i mean you know like uh this uh giving our life and our will over to this higher power like is faith and i never realized it was up into that moment that i realized i had always had hope but i never had faith and that was revolutionary for me too i realized that i really had to look at and Mm -hmm. really like had to think about this idea do i do i believe i remember that same sponsor told me that I was, that my higher power felt like I was worthy of this big and beautiful life. And I remember it making me cry. And, um, and like really believing that like, you know, when everything's right and, and like that this thing that's out there in this, in the universe is like looking out for, it just like wants what's best for me, you know, and that there's like this tranquility and peace in there that like I can find once I tap into it and like really believe that, you know, and believe that it's like believe in the beauty of it. And, um, and so like, I really had to look at that. And so that step three was really big for me. And, um, so I, and then I had a, I did a four step, um, and looking at those patterns. So, uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, I came from a really strict sponsor family. They told me not to date um, my first year of sobriety. And um, I used to... I used to sit outside of meetings and literally have old timers fight back and forth between each other about my sex life. Like, I, cause I would be talking about it and be like, I really want to see this guy that's uh, like, has a f- like a few months and my sponsors tell me I can't do it. And like this old timers, like it says that we're not the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. And then like another spot, you know, mm. another old timer like yelling back at him. And like, it was just like this funny experience, but like it was, it was just interesting. And so anyways, I just like still did what I wanted to do. And um, so I was seeing this guy and I remember my sponsor saying like, you're going to live your life, whatever. This is my suggestion. You don't have to take it. I'm telling you, things are probably going to change after you do a four step. And I was like, whatever. So, um, you know, I did a four step where I write down like all of my shit and all of my part in it. And then I did a sex inventory where I looked at like these patterns that I was doing in relationships and it did. (laughs) I remember being like, whoa, I don't know that I even want to be in a relationship with this guy you know like I was just like blindly living my life which I think is kind of what you do before doing a fourth step is that you're just like blindly walking through life and like conscious like not um not consciously making these choices you know you're just like living off of these um impulses yeah and I hate I always like tell I heard in a meeting one time you know, it's, it talks about these character defects, but the reality is, is that like, they're like these survival skills that we learned, um, that are no longer working for us, you know? And so like, I'm just like trying to survive in this world in the way that like I have learned maybe at like a younger age to do it and it's no longer working, yeah. you know? And so I ended up like breaking up with that guy <laughs> after fourth step and I had to make amends for it later on, which is what she told me was going to happen. Um, so it was like, you know, like, but I'm so glad that I still walked through that and had that experience. Um, so anyways, did four step, did the fifth step where, um, you know, like I told this woman everything, which I don't, I, some people have like an experience in that. And for me, I didn't really, I was so used to telling people all of my shit. I really didn't have many secrets or anything to hide. Um, so telling somebody everything wasn't this like big moving experience for me. Um, six and seven were pretty quick and, um, and I had a, I had an experience with six and it took me years to have an experience with six and seven. Um, later on when I had changed sponsors a few times, I was learning about six and seven, like these removal of, um, you know, character defects. And I'm in the, in the 12 and 12, there's like this part that talks about how we can't remove our character defects that it has to be like God that removes them. And that like, also like that was, I had an experience in that too, because I realized that I was still, even though I had thought I had this firm understanding of step three, that I was still living in this self will in a sense, because I thought that I could remove my defects, you know, that I like, if I just do enough for, you know, four steps, if I do it right and properly, or if I like do all of like a, B and C and D that like Devin's going to get rid of Devin's shit. And, like, the truth is, is that, like, Devin doesn't get rid of anything, you know, like, I have to, like, like, hand it over and, like, become a vessel almost. And then, like, that's when, like, Mm. my shit gets removed. And so that's, like, really when I had, like, an experience at six and seven. Um, And so then I got to eight and nine, which was, like, the amends process and making amends to all these people that I had hurt. I hated eight and nine. 
hated it. I remember, I remember in the beginning, like I was like, I don't want to go talk to any of these people. I was so angry about it. I was so like, I was willing, but I didn't like it. And people were telling me all of these stories about these beautiful experiences that they had in the men's process. And like my first amend process, men's process went like to shit. And it was like not a great experience. And I was just like, this is awful. Like, I don't feel good. I had like lived in with this, with this girl who had like, she uh, was also one of us probably um she probably had some problems with drugs and alcohol and um and I moved in with her knowing that she was like this and then tried and then she ended up skipping out on rent um a few times I like we got into so many fights about like the way that she like was you know she was kind of messy like our house like just so many fights about everything about living together basically and um when I did a four step I realized that my part had been like understanding and knowing this girl before we'd moved together yeah. and still like moving in with her and expecting her to be anybody than the person that she was. Yeah. Like she's going to change all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I did that with so many people, you know, I would be like, I, I see you, but like, let's make this better. You know what yeah. I mean? Or uh, what Devin thinks looks better. And, um, and so I would try to change them consistently. And so like my men's process with, um, the girl was to like, I ended up like going over to her house and, um, and I, I mean, I have a, had a living amends and like the living amends was to like, to accept people and not try, you know what I mean? And not to like try to change them or whatever. Yeah. But like I had to give her a verbal amends and basically the verbal amends was saying that like I hadn't been a good friend, you know? And cause that's the truth of it is that like I, what I wasn't, I was trying to change her and not really be a friend to her or like, you know, hold the space or love her for who she was. Yeah. Um, and so like I ended up telling her that and this girl who had like left me in some desperate situations really like fucked up so much shit in my life was like, yeah, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like was so angry. I just remember leaving there and uh-huh. I'm like, that bitch, like she did not even say sorry for the shit that she did. And like, so it just wasn't this great experience. But, you know, I think it's funny. I look back on that experience now and I'm realizing that it's like such the crutch of so many of my problems. And I've been making amends for so many things in that way for my whole time being sober. And, um, and I think the biggest one that I had to learn was with my father. So... I looked on my four-step and one stuff I'd come up with my dad. Um, I had always tried to change my dad. I wanted my dad to change. Me and my dad had this really awful relationship for a really, really long time where we were consistently fighting and bickering. I would go home and um, he would want me to act a certain way and I wanted him to like accept me and love me for who I was and I was always angry that he was angry and we would just have these awful, awful fights and, um, and I... I mean, it was, it was a bad, bad relationship. And, um, so looking at my fourth step, I realized that like one that I was like not using my voice effectively in those kind of situations, but like also two, um, that I wasn't just accepting my father for who he was. And, um, and I was always just trying to constantly fight with him. So something that like the 12 step program had taught me was that when you come to a 12-step program, you're allowed to have whatever kind of conception you want of God. 
And so hearing so many people's conceptions of gods in the room and realizing that people could be Catholic and still like be accepting and understanding and also being able to accept them and realizing that like we don't have to have the same perception of God for us to like love and accept each other made me like stop arguing with my dad about religion. And, um, and so I would go home and, and we, we would still get in arguments, but it got better. I would just stop trying to like play devil's advocate with him, you know, or just try so easy to go there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just wanted to, you know, like him to like admit he was wrong and that's how it used to be. And I stopped trying to do that so much. And, um, I'm guilty of that so much. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm guilty. Probably my mom's going to, my mom listens to this <laughs> sometimes and I do that too. Like I'll poke, I'll, I'll like poke at her, you know, I'll yeah. say little things, little slide things that are just basically trying to like, you know, undermine what she yeah. believes. Yeah. It's uh, it's horrible. Yeah. Thanks. For, I mean, I need to look at that for sure. <laughs> um, so when I made a year sober, I invited my dad out. So something that, something when I was talking about, something that happened, um, when I was talking about earlier about when I got confirmed in the church, I had asked my dad to be like, I forget what it's called, but basically he like was the person that's supposed to, if I ever try to like wander away from the church or like need help, he's supposed to be there to like bring me back. You know what I mean? And I had asked him to do it because like, I didn't realize that I needed to do it. And I just picked someone and it meant a whole lot to him. Like that, me picking him meant Uh so much to my father. And, um, and then literally the next day afterwards, I stopped going to church and, um, and my dad used to come into my room every Sunday and he'd be so angry at me. He said like, why did you choose to do this? If, you know, or like pick me and know that like, I'm not like that. You're not going to do this. Like he was so angry and was so hurt by it. So, um, and that like really was like a lot of our fights about religion. But anyway, so I asked my dad to come out to LA to give me my year chip. And, um, we were sitting in a meeting, uh, that was like a, was this Tuesday night book study. It was a really intimate, small meeting. And my father came in cause it was an open meeting and he sat with us and, um, and I asked him to give him my chip and he did. And. Uh, after the meeting, my dad was standing next to me and, um, we closed out with the Lord's prayer and, uh, and you hold hands, you know, like in a meeting, we, I held hands with my father and we all started saying the Lord's prayer and my dad just started crying next to me and, um, and I realized that like, that was all my father ever wanted. Like he wanted to know that like I was safe and I was loved. And like, that was all he wanted for me when he wanted me to go to church, you know? And he, and he had saw that I had found it in, in the rooms, yeah. you know, in recovery. Wow. And like, it Incredible. was, yeah, it was just like this powerful moment. And like, that was like the first experience that I really had with amends and realizing that like what it looked like to change and what, it could do, you know, like with relationships and stuff and like, just and like do for the other person. Yeah. yeah. And like, um, and so like things we, like that was just like such a, a big experience for me. And, um, wow. so then there's, you know, 10 and 11 and, um, uh, 10, <laughs> let's see, wait, 10 is, uh, continue to take inventory and, um, 
<laughs> which I'm so awful at. I was thinking about it like the other day. I was thinking about how, so I'm the kind of person, like I've literally been sober for almost five years and I've taken an inventory more than five times. So I've done a fourth step, not taking inventory every day. I've done a fourth step, like five or like, I mean like six or seven times. And, um, and I realized the other day that I probably wouldn't have to do that so often if I just kept up with it every day, yeah. you know, if I just took the time at the end of my night to look over my day and be like, what's showing up for me yeah. right now? Because it save you so much trouble too. Yeah. God. Because what usually happens uh. is that I like take, you know, we take our, take my will back and then I just like keep running on it. And then I'm realizing like, and then I'm like, and so much shit and there's so much like not clarity about what's happening that I think that I need to do like this big fourth step. So that way I can gain some clarity about what's going on in my life instead of like, just like keeping up with it every day, you know, and like being present every day and like being there, you know, and like looking at it then. And, um, Oh, my phone died. Oh, I'm not even sure. Okay. I mean, Sorry, I Andy. <laughs> Sorry, we're still talking. I'll wrap yeah, it up. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I think probably, yeah. I'll okay. Another 10. Yeah. Um, Max. And so anyway, so I just realized the other day that that was super important. And then my experience with 11 is that um, I always thought meditation was sitting still. And I can't sit still and I never did it because like, I just like, was like, I can't sit in silence and I freaking hate this. And then I had a sponsor that was like, there's things called active meditation where like you can move and meditate. And like, that was this like revolutionary experience for me. And it was like really important for me to understand that more, that it's more about being present, you know, like sometimes like meditation can look like what they call like be where your hands are, you know, like, so when, if you're washing dishes and just like actually washing the dishes, you mm. know, like, I yeah. don't like folding the clothes and like putting love into folding the clothes, you know what I mean? It's like a form of meditation because you're just being there yeah, doing it deliberately. My yes. dad used to tell me that my dad was hella woke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was really important for me. And then with 12 man, uh, just like carrying this on. I, I think that was like, I'm thankful for that every day. I think in a larger scheme, 12 brings me back to myself all the time. Um, because sometimes I can hate me and I cannot care about me or not love me and not want anything to do with myself. And, um, but I can, but I care a lot about other people and, um, and I want other people to have this experience that I've had. And so sometimes when I want to like be in self-pity or self-destruct or not do anything or like just not like try to be better, I think that if I want somebody else to be better then I need to do it too, because early on in recovery, I listened to this guy he used to always, he was one of my favorite speakers. And every time he spoke, he would end with this saying, he would always say, we do not step into the darkness to save people. We stand into the light so they can see us. And that meant so much to me. And I think that's really what 12, what the 12th step is about is like this idea of like living in 
recovery and like living in like this idea of like getting better so that way we can start this ripple effect to the people around us and so like if I want to help and reach out my hand to like another person then I need to be doing the things too and um and so like I don't know so I I think sometimes when I don't want to do this anymore or when I don't want to be here I'll hear somebody you know that felt the way that I did and um and I want them to have the experience that I had because like the truth is, is that like, man, so many things like, you know, I like, I just had a friend that I lost to this and, um, he relapsed and he wanted this more than anything. And, um, and he couldn't get it back. He just couldn't get it back. And, um, and so when I went to Los Angeles, I was out there with all the people that I got sober with and all of my friends and, um, and I just like was so present with them. And there were so many moments that I just looked at them and I was like, I'm so grateful that I love people this much. And I'm so grateful that they love me so much. And I want them, I want to be alive. And like, I used to be a person that woke up every morning and wished they were dead. And like this, like me, like just wanting to be alive is like the greatest gift that I could have gotten ever. Is that like I'm excited about life sometimes and I'm so grateful that I am here and I'm so grateful for everything that I have and the people that I have in my life and um and that is like the true gift of recovery. So so yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Um so one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to like get a get a good way to land each episode. So um I've been asking this question. Um and it's not the most profound question, so <laughs> but it, I feel like it's it's you know um relevant in that you know hopefully somebody's out there listening who was who is you know in the darkness. Yeah. Um and I'll tell you what, you did a really good job of standing in the light tonight. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and, uh, but if you were, like, let's say if you were to encounter that person who, that person who you were before stepping into that psych ward or before maybe even stepping into AA or the rooms uh, bef- when you when you went back to L.A., just the person you were before you started to recover, um, and it, it, what would you, what would you tell that person? It's a tough question. Man, um, you know, to be honest, Annie, I don't think I'd tell her anything. <laughs> um, I think if I was around me and was able to spend some time with me going through that process, I think the best thing that you can do or the best thing that I could have done for myself is to like hold the space, which is what my friend Shaw did. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize he was doing it. You know, he just was there for me. You know, he never pushed me to get sober. He never said like, you know, like get your shit together. He never like tried to like make me do anything, um, to like better my life. You know, he just like was always there if I needed him. And he was always there to give advice when I asked for it. And so I don't know if I would tell that girl anything. I think that like, you know, like I always heard that like getting, being sober is, uh, 
is a gift. It's like, it's what they call grace. You know, like the fact that we somehow magically show up in the rooms and are sitting in a chair and our life changes, like that's grace. Because the truth is, is that like, if I don't, if I had tried to alter that course, I don't know where I would have be, you know, or I don't, I don't know. I think God had his hand, you know, in everything. And, um, and I was being led to where I needed to be by grace. And, um, and so that's why, you know, especially after my friend died, I just think it's really important that like, I remember that it's grace that I'm sitting here today sober and that I need to honor that. And so I just try to continue honoring it. And I'm so glad that things happen the way that they happen. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. <laughs>